Welcome to Choosing Hope, Ordinary People Doing Extraordinary Things. My name is Munira Pranji, and I am the host of this podcast. The vision of this podcast is to connect you with ordinary, everyday people from around the world. People who are making a difference. People who are contributing to their communities and the world in small and big ways through their ideas, their imagination, their challenges, their purpose, and their passion. Dionne Warner is one incredible woman. She is a nine-time cancer survivor. Let me just repeat that. She is a nine-time cancer survivor. And let that sink in for a moment. She is a warrior. She has been described by her doctors as a miracle beyond science. I saw Dion being interviewed on CityLine and was mesmerized by her story. So I connected with her and invited her to be a guest on my podcast. Dion lives in Regina. She is a motivational speaker and an example of how you can live your life fully and fearlessly when confronted with one catastrophe after another. Welcome to the show, Dion. I'm really excited to uh, have this conversation with you. Thank you, Ranir. I'm honored to be asked to be a part of your podcast. Thank you. So, Dion, you were diagnosed with breast cancer when you were 30. That was more than 20 years ago when you lived in Ontario. I'd like you to think back to the time that you were 30. What was it like for you to have received that first cancer diagnosis so long ago? I have to say I was shocked. Number one, I felt I was too young. This could not be happening to me. I knew nobody my age at the time diagnosed with breast cancer. So that was a bit of a struggle for me because I had nobody I could talk to about this disease. It was shocking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so you had a lumpectomy? Yes, I had a lumpectomy. Yes. Perfect. And you thought, okay, I've gone through this bout and now life will move forward comfortably. Yes. Amen to that. That's exactly what I thought. And since then, you have undergone so many cancer treatments as that breast cancer metastasized. And I hate that word metastasized, right? It's probably the worst word in the English language. Yes. The breast cancer metastasized throughout your body. And today you are a nine-time cancer survivor. Can you walk us through your journey with the cancers and, and the impact it had on your body? Yes. Okay. So we know breast cancer was in 1995. Then I was diagnosed with breast cancer in 1997, liver cancer 2001 with a surgery, and then liver cancer returned in 2002. Then in 2009, I was diagnosed stage four palliative with lung cancer, bone cancer, and liver cancer again now for the third time. Then in August 2012, I was diagnosed with liver cancer, four tumors in my liver after I've just been through remission with that battle of liver cancer. Then in April 2018, I was diagnosed with bone cancer again, this time in a different area, and the stomach of my lining, I was diagnosed with cancer as well. 
You know, I'm just so floored. I mean, I've read your story and it still shocks me to to hear you actually say all of that. I mean, I heard brain cancer and liver cancer and lung cancer and bone and hip and vertebrae and, and lining of the stomach. I mean, how are you still here? I mean, truly a miracle beyond science. Well, my doctor did give me that title beyond science and just said he didn't know what to do with me because I believe I continue to beat the odds and attitude is everything. And being positive through the journey is one of the most important things I've been told that I'm very good at. So, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I'd like to explore that a a little bit more. But before we go there, I I wanted to ask you with all of these different cancers that uh, you you were encountering one after the other, different parts of your body. What was the most difficult part of your cancer journey? I would have to say the most difficult cancer diagnosis I received was my brain cancer diagnosis because the fear was that I could lose my speech, I could be paralyzed, and it was only two years after my breast cancer diagnosis, so I'm 32. When they told me I had to do a second brain cancer surgery, I actually denied doing it. I didn't want to do it because of fear I knew what the first one did, what I went through. And to look into my oncologist's eyes in Toronto, he begged me to do one more surgery. And I thought, if this man cares about me this much, how can I not? Wow. And if you can kind of go back to that time when you're as to go for a second surgery of your brain. You know, how did you, I mean, what was going through your mind? Who did you speak with? I mean, did you think that you were going to die? Like, what, what, what was happening to you emotionally, mentally, physically, you know, with, with that situation and all the other times that you had to go through cancer treatment? My family and friends have just been so amazingly supportive, number one, on my full journey. And when they found out that I was asked to do another brain cancer surgery and they knew I was very hesitant, they all rallied around me and said, just please, just trust him and do this one more time. You'll be okay. He took care of you the first time. Trust him. Put all your trust in him and you and you will get through this. And they all showed up that day at the hospital before my surgery. So I was not going to disappoint them. Wow. And has it been any easier? Like each time you go through another diagnosis, you know, is it easier each time or do you go through the same emotional, mental, physical reaction, would you say? Right now, at this point, being a nine-time survivor, it's quite interesting because I always feel great after a CT scan, and I'm not suffering any pain. It's when my oncologist says to me, when I go to see him to get my results, he says, how are you feeling? And I say, well, I feel great, but you always bust my bubble. (laughs) So you tell me, is there something wrong with me? And then he proceeds to tell me we found this and I just say okay well what's next it's always what's next is there something we can do and he has never yet knock on wood said to me there's nothing we can do Uh, and hopefully that will never happen 
Absolutely. And so it seems to me that you take a really pragmatic approach and you don't waste a lot of time or a lot of energy in terms of, you know, what can't be done or poor me or victim. You just go into the what's next. Yes. It's always when I'm told the diagnosis 24 hours, why me? I give myself that time to cry, let it out. And after those 24 hours, I have to say to myself, why not me? And get into fight mode. How amazing is that? Why not me? I had mentioned to you, Dion, my own story with battling three advanced cancers in five years. And uh, like you, I think the approach I take is one of trust and one of faith. And I think what I do is I also get into that pragmatic mode. Sometimes I give myself two hours to let it all out. Sometimes for me, it's two weeks. Mm -hmm. Sometimes for me, it's two months, you know, while I go through all of the the, the grief and the loss. But I don't live there. And and I'm hearing you say the same thing. You don't live there. No. Yeah, you you give yourself 24 hours. And yeah, you can't. And why can't you, Dion? Because you need to find that strength and courage to fight and to be fearless in this battle, or it is going to take over. Mm-hmm. You have to know you gave it everything you've got to be the odds. Does that courage live in you, Dion? I mean, have you been like that as a child? Is that an innate um, personality trait? Have you always been courageous? I believe I, I have been always because, and, I, and for the people that I speak to and talk to and share my story, I say, you have that courage and strength too. You just have to dig deeper maybe to find it, but we mm-hmm. all have it. It's there. Dig mm-hmm. deep and get to it. You can reach it if you try hard enough. I so resonate with what you're saying. I believe that God never puts you through what you can't handle. And the idea is if you've got something, you know, you've, you've got the resources, the courage, the something, the hope, whatever that is to, to see you through it. And you have an abundance of it, Dion, and I really admire that so much about you. And back at you too, the same. I mean, life is full of tests. These are my tests. And so far, I'm between, you know, A and Bs, but I'm doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. And you probably get this question a lot, but what keeps you positive? My husband, number one, my my wingman, Graham, he believes so much in me and, you know, he's so comforting. And my, my, my family and my friends, I could not do this without them, their support. I mean, they come to me with treatments they if I need something what can I do what can I do and I tell everybody when you are diagnosed with this disease please let your family and friends in they all want to do something they just don't know what you need let them help you it's so important mm-hmm. again totally resonate with you I found asking for help extremely difficult was that your journey as well oh no <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh no, no, oh no. I'm good at asking and I've learned along the way because they say, well, you didn't ask. Well, they're right. I didn't. So now I ask. I can't be afraid to ask because they're all sitting there. They all want to feel useful for you. 
let them do something. Even if it's, I mean, I remember I was craving, and this is McDonald's fries in the hospital. Uh, my husband wouldn't bring them in, but my girlfriend did. <laughs> so you knew how to pull just the right resources. Exactly. You know, I've been on this rodeo a very long time now, so I know how to play. <laughs> yeah, you know how to play. Yeah, what were some other cravings that you had during uh, chemo? Because uh, I know that those cravings can be pretty wondrous sometimes. So clearly for you, at one point it was McDonald's fries. What else? Yes, and I love my Whoppers. And at one point with my brain cancer surgery, all I wanted, because I think, you know, I, I'm going through the moment. May this be my last supper. And I said, <laughs> I just want a Whopper. And they were like, but you can't have that. And my family's around me. That's not good for you before surgery the next day. And I said, all I want is a Whopper. Well, you know <laughs> what? They actually surprised me because they brought my hospital food. My family, a couple of them had gone out and they were coming back. And then I said, not, don't, don't touch this. So I didn't. And then in came my Whopper. <laughs> and one of my girlfriends actually every year after that took me to Burger King for a Whopper to celebrate. <laughs> I love that story. For me, for the longest time, it was oranges. And my daughter would laugh so hard because she said, it's like you're having an affair with oranges. And I was having my oranges. I mean, it was all over my face and I didn't want anybody to tell me, you know, to clean my face. I just dug into those oranges and I would eat, you know, six, seven, eight consecutively. It's like, I just couldn't yeah. eat enough. And every once in a while, the orange crushes, you know, come, come yes. back in. It's crazy how that works, eh? Mm -hmm. So crazy. Yeah. But I'll tell you, I was the happiest girl. I said, if this was my last supper, I'm happy. I'm going out happy. That's all I cared about. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yep. I, I hear you. You know, you've mentioned family and friends quite a bit. And I really would love for you to to talk more about that. But let's start with your wingman. You lived in Ontario in Mississauga and then you moved to Regina and dare I say you moved to Regina for love? For love. Definitely for love. For okay. Love. Yes. So let, let's talk about that move and uh, what you said to your husband before he was your husband. Well, we have known each other for over 25 years through business, first of all. Okay. And so when we both became divorced from our first spouses, we thought, why not? Let's go on a date. So Graham flew into Toronto, took me out on a date, and three months later, he proposed to me. Wow. Was and very, what was the proposal like? How did he propose? He proposed to me on an Air Canada flight flying into Regina for the first time. It was incredible. At First of all, I thought, is that my name I hear over the, the intercom? And sure enough, and the pilot did the proposal to me that Graham had handwritten for him to read. And the keeper. <laughs> it was it was incredible. And I said yes. And then I moved there a month later. And three months later, I got diagnosed with my first bout of liver cancer. Now Graham had known my battle with breast and brain before. He had followed me. And um, I told him he didn't have to marry me that I would go back to my family back in Ontario and my doctors there. 
and Graham at my hospital bed took my hand and said, you never leave your wingman. Now I'm going to cry. I just, that story about you never leave your wingman. That is the truth. That's exactly what he said. He took my hand and I'm not going anywhere. You never leave your wingman. And he's been here ever since. <laughs> God, <laughs> that, that's emotional. <laughs> you know, um, the statistics are pretty scary in Canada right now. The statistics are that um, nearly two out of five people or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe I've got that wrong now, but the statistics are that so many people will experience cancer during their lifetime. And you know, and I know that we don't do cancer alone. Right. So your community has really rallied around you. And I'd really like to hear more stories about, you know, the support that you have found beyond the Burger King and beyond your wingmen, the support that you've found, you know, with friends and and others that have allowed you to go through the journey in the way that you have. My friends and family, number one, they're always checking on me to see how I am doing, if I need anything, want anything. I've had so many beautiful quilts made for me to keep me warm. Just beautiful quilts from all across, from the United States, across the world, in in Ontario, in Regina. Beautiful quilts from people just hearing my story. At one point, you can't even close the fridge at times. I remember being diagnosed. So much food was coming in to look after us. It's They're just incredible. And Every time I can remember one of my treatments for breast cancer in Toronto, I said, what if someone can't come with me one day? I need to be able to do this by myself. So I told all my girlfriends that one of them was taking me so that they would think I'm going to be okay. Well, little did I know, did they all call one another and they busted me and all showed up and said, you will never do a treatment by yourself. So don't think that way and don't try to trick us. <laughs> that's oh, love. <laughs> that's that's love. That's love in its purest form. Yes. That's solidarity. That's, yes. that's womanhood. That's humanity at its very best. Yes. And I know that you have found ways to give back. Yes. Through my volunteering at the clinic here in Regina, when I'm not sick, I, I love to volunteer. I want patients to see hope standing in front of them. I want to hear their stories to inspire me. I mean, we're in this together, and together we stand stronger. You, in 2017, were named one of uh, 25 Heritage Heroes for Look Good, Feel Good. And I know uh, a bit of what that program is all about because I was a um, a recipient of a beauty bag from them. Mm -hmm. And I learned how to do my eyebrows when I lost my eyebrows through cancer treatment. But I'd love to hear your take on, you know, what is look good, feel good, and how did it help you personally? Look Good, Feel Better program is incredible. I encourage every woman I meet first diagnosed to please, if you can somehow, some way, get to this program Number one, you're going to meet other amazing warriors, survivors out there going through possibly the same thing you're going through. It's a diagnosis of cancer. And I mean, like you said, they teach you how to do your eyebrows, how to wear a wig, how to tie scarves, and and just your, your skin, how things are going to change going through this treatment. And it's just 
so it's educational. It's so helpful. And again, another way of giving you hope as you go through your journey that you can get through this. And here are all the tips we're going to share to make you feel somewhat whole again, if not find yourself again. Mm-hmm. I can't say enough about the program either because, you know, when you go through cancer, as you know, there are so many losses, you know, there's, there's the, the financial loss, there's the loss of identity, which mm-hmm. I found incredibly difficult. There's all these losses, your, your face doesn't look quite right. You lose your hair for the first time and you don't know what that's going to look like. And there's something very empowering about this program, isn't there, yeah. where you yes. just come out feeling just a little bit better and you yes. and when you, you walk, walk out, out you feel like a million bucks when you walk out of there from yeah, what they've done out. with you and taught you yeah you certainly walk out taller and you were telling me the story about uh, a lady that uh, you met during one of the, one of the times you were in this program can you recount that story for the listeners please yes so i was uh, working in the wig room and i had a lady kind of peek in And she told me, now my hair had just come back from my treatments I was doing. And she told me I was too pretty to be working in the wig room. So I asked her to step in a little further. And she did. And I showed her a picture. And I said, what do you think of this picture? And she said to me, oh, what woman would take a picture of themselves looking at that? So then I said to her, well, actually, this is a photo of me. And at the time, I was a four-time cancer survivor. You could have heard a pin drop. And then she looked at me and said, my dear, if I look as beautiful as you after all my treatments, it will all have been worth it. And then she hugged me. So here she had no clue. I'm a survivor myself, but I obviously hopefully inspired her Mm -hmm. on her journey. Yeah, I uh, I do something similar when I go to the hospital for my treatments. You know, I've had two stem cell transplants and those were pretty difficult treatments uh, for my myeloma. And I will often make time to go to the ward where I had the transplant and uh, just speak with people who are going through it because they're feeling so vulnerable and they are so Mm -hmm. sick, many of them. And uh, oftentimes when I walk in to say hi, they'll think I'm a doctor. And I say to them, no, 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 I'm not a doctor. I am you. I was you, you know, Um, five years ago. This is this is this is me. And I just want you to know you'll make it through. So I, I know the joy that comes from doing that. Oh, anyone you can help. My oncologist one time called on me and asked, there was a patient up on the ward and she's just sitting in the dark. Would you go up and see her? And I looked at him and I said, but what if she doesn't want to see me? And he said, well, just give it a shot. If she won't let you in, then okay. So I went up, I introduced myself and I felt like I was slithering in, (laughs) hoping the door wouldn't shut. And I just sat down. We started to talk. She shared her story. I shared mine. And an hour, probably was an hour later that I said to her, so is it okay to open your blinds? And she said, yes. And we let the sun shine in. We are friends till this day outside of the hospital. And she's in full remission. Amazing woman. Wow. 
And what's remarkable about this story is that you continue to keep in touch with her. And hopefully the both of you have let the light in for each other. Other, yes. Yes. That's incredible. Loved, loved that story. Dion, you are such a beautiful woman. I mean, you really are incredibly beautiful with no hair. You've chosen to not have hair is that is that your new look yeah yes you know for me I love the fact that when I travel with girlfriends now I'm not carrying all the hair products in the blow dryer I can be ready in 15 minutes <laughs> so I will never go back to that I am fine I mean I, I'm in treatment now so my hair would my hair loss would still be there and my husband loves me like loves me like this he says why would you grow it back it suits you this is how we know you now so I accept it. I do have some fun wigs. I have one. I call her when I'm out, Foxy Roxy. So <laughs> my wigs all have names. So I, so I can have fun. And it's nice sometimes just to go out incognito where nobody knows who you are. <laughs> right. So I've also had a lot of adventures with my with my wigs. I had 13 at one point. Wow, and that's amazing. Yeah, You've been yeah, me. <laughs> I, yeah, I had I had the California look. I had the Beyonce look. Yeah. I had bangs, you know, and uh, I just had a lot of fun with the wigs. And uh, what I find really curious is I probably lost my hair six or seven times through my journey with cancer. <laughs> and each time my hair comes back it comes back weird so right now I'm actually wearing a wig but my hair has come back and it's come back tight 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 curls it's come back black and tight 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 curls and you know everybody at home is having so much fun with me and Mm -hmm. and teasing me about my black tight almost permed uh, hair but it's interesting Uh, there are there are some fun moments oh yes I have girlfriends who bore my wigs. I have pictures of them in them, especially in Foxy Roxy. She's the hit for everybody. <laughs> I can't wait to, to meet Foxy Roxy. Uh, but speaking of fun, there is this part that I really want to learn more about because what I've read about your story is that the dressing up part. And I've seen you in pictures of the most elaborate and the, and the craziest costumes. Can you describe some of these costumes and, you know, your motivation for dressing up every time you went for treatment? Because, you know, you are, (laughs) I don't even know what to call you, one creative, crazy woman. (laughs) So please, you know, talk about the dressing up part. Well, when I was diagnosed in 2009, stage four palliative, a word I never heard you describe me, I said to Graham, we're going to bring some fun to this clinic. We're going to dress up in costume themes and we're going to make some patients laugh and smile. So my first treatment walking in, I wore a Cancer Sucks pink bright t-shirt and I had on my warrior face and tie around my hair because I still had it. And I walked in there, a warrior, ready to fight back. And I think the song I walked into, maybe I don't remember if it was Eye of the Tiger, but it was one of the fight songs. And then after that, we did, I'm going to tell you, we did a total of 78 themes. Total. Um, Eight costumes. Costumes. Themes for treatment. Yes. And as we continue to do them, patients now started asking, when is your next treatment? What are you doing next? Can I participate? So it was quite 
fun and people just waiting and you could see them. Here she comes, here she comes, here she comes, here they come. And any of my friends who came to treatment had to participate because you weren't coming with me unless you were geared up. So I would say a couple of our favorite themes were we did a cowboy and everything focused around whatever may be going around in the city. If we had an event as well, we tried to work with that. So one of our favorites, uh, we did a cowboy thing because we have what's called agribition here in Regina. So I bought horses, sticks. My girlfriends rode on on horses. We were all cowboy, cowgirled up. I jumped on my husband's back and we danced into the chemo to save a horse, ride a cowboy. <laughs> oh my goodness. I can only, only visualize what that looked like. And, and, and then another one, when my father came to visit, my, my background is Jamaican. And I said, dad, you're bringing the theme. He brought uh, red striped t-shirts. He brought the Rasta hats with the dreads. And let me tell you, we danced into Bob Marley, One Love, and we made our own splits, and they were huge, and brought in Jamaican rum. <laughs> and everybody loved it. <laughs> you mentioned that a lot of the patients there would try and find out when your appointment was so that they yes. would get the appointment for the same day. So that they Yes. Yes, it was it was like amazing. And then the nurses were like, oh my God, everybody wants your day now on time. <laughs> it was just so sweet. And you know what? It just felt good to bring laughter in. It really did. That's all Graham and I had hoped for and wished for. And just to see people smile in you know in hard time. Yeah. The thing I found amazing about that story is it was not just you doing this. Your wingman, Graham. Yes. There with you and he had to wear he never knew what he was wearing until the morning of when it was laid out on the bed and let me tell you my husband put on some tights <laughs> he, did not. he did it was a rock and roll theme and I said he looks at me really I said the whole thing buddy or you're not coming in <laughs> wow wow I I wish I could have seen you in those I mean that just sounds just so much fun it, it it was it was so much fun and to be in a place my friends would say before we would go have fun at chemo now how often do you hear that mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah you know uh the, the thing that was my thing when I would go for treatment is for some reason it was Jersey Boy songs Okay. And I would be singing Jersey Boy songs, you know, at the top of my lungs. Mm -hmm. And uh, typically my husband was there and he was not playing. <laughs> and my daughter, who was also my caregiver, was there and she was like totally all in. So we would be singing Jersey Boy songs and, uh, you know, the nurses would come by and they would pick me up from the chemo chair and we would dance. And yes. That was my thing. That was my fun. But, but you just, you just take the cake. <laughs> so you got a call in April of 2020 from your doctor. Yes. You just had a CT scan. And yes, just a recent one. So this, yes. This is April 2020. And he called you two days mm -hmm. earlier than he was supposed to. And you were so scared. You said, why is he calling me mm -hmm. two days earlier? Yes. And then he called to tell you what? He called to tell me that all the tumors in my body had shrunk. And I actually questioned him because I said to him, 
Now, you know, I have a lot going on. So all, are you sure? And he said to me, Dion, I'm calling you two days early because he was just as excited to share this news with me. So I literally said to him, okay, I'm going to cry after I hang up, but we still have things to discuss. <laughs> but it was just incredible. I couldn't believe it all. And I mean, I have to say, I, I mean, it's riddled through my body. I know that. But to say all this new treatment I'm on, it's working. It's working. And then your wingman, Graham, says yes. that this is cause for celebration, but it's during COVID when, you know, options are kind of limited. Yes. So he organizes the surprise celebration. I'd love for you to talk us through that. He did. So it was Easter Sunday. It was a little bit cool here in Regina. And he said to me, well, let's go for a walk. And I said, no, oh, it's too cold. And he goes, come on, let's go. Put on your warm stuff and, and let's go out for a walk. And I said to him, the only way I'm going out is if you put on these Easter ears and walk outside with me. Because <laughs> it was Easter Sunday. So, yeah, that's what I said. So he put on the Easter ears. I had mine on and we walked out. And oh, my goodness. First of all, I looked over and I'm seeing balloons. I'm seeing neighbors outside. And I looked at Graham and I said, did we not get invited to a party? <laughs> and then he goes, Dee, this party's for you. And then he took me out further and there was everybody and the cars just started coming. The parade was phenomenal. Talk about feeling the love. Oh, my gosh. People drove from an hour away to participate. You are so loved. You are oh, so loved. I feel it immensely. That's why I don't want to disappoint anybody or let anybody down. I'm not just fighting for myself. I'm fighting for everybody who believes in me. Mm -hmm. what, what do you think letting people down would look like? I don't know because I haven't so far. <laughs> I keep going. <laughs> I keep going. And even when they say, you know, and I share, okay, I've got this now, guys. And they say, I'm so sorry. I said, don't be sorry for me. I'm going to fight and I'm going to beat this. I don't need, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Just say, you got this, D. You're going to get through it. Sorry doesn't work for me. I mean, I would rather have it than somebody else I know who couldn't handle it. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Mm. A, I would take it any day for some friends I know that probably couldn't handle it. Mm -hmm. That would give up so easy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, so give it to me. I mean, when my husband got sick, I said, why him? Why not me? Why him? And I felt horrible for that. But, you know, it was a true testament of our love, our vows, because we, we were both battling life at the same time now. And we both came through. So it's just a test of what love really is. Mm -hmm. I was very emotional when I heard that Graham also then was diagnosed with cancer. Mm -hmm. And the cancer he had was the same as uh, the Terry Fox. Fox spindle cell sarcoma. Yes. And he was told he could lose his leg. We were very fortunate that he did not. And, uh, but yes, it was, it was frightening. Mm -hmm. What was it like to be his caregiver after he'd been your caregiver for so long? Well, I was good for it. Now, he wasn't too happy with me because 
I said, 20, I said, Jim, you got 24 hours, wallow in it, get over it. Well, I watched him nine hours in and I said, okay, you're done. You're not getting 24 hours. You're, you're, you're done. It's time to pick up the pace and let's get into fight mode because I watched my husband and I was so afraid he was going down too far that I might not be able to pick him back up. Hmm. And he'll tell everybody, my wife gets 24 and I only got nine. There's a reason. <laughs> because I, I was afraid I wouldn't get him back up in the fight mode. So it worked. I mean, I'm, I'm, I was a tough cookie on him because I, and he'll tell you that, well, you can't be a miracle without being married to a miracle. So I just said, babe, please. Uh, you've got to start now. I'm really afraid for you that you're not going to be strong enough to get through this. And he snapped out of it. He had no choice. Mm, not with you around him. No. All the time. Yeah. I am finding that different people handle it differently and require, you know, different timelines and, and uh, I'm learning to kind of meet people where they're at, but certainly what you did for Graham. And I think, you know, your love and, the strong communication you have with each other really helped to move it, it helps. It makes such a difference. Yes, it does. It does. Yeah, and are you the kind of person that lives in the moment or do you have like bucket list items? How, how do you live when you know that, you know, we all live on borrowed time, but yes, we've gone through some horrible stuff. So yes. do you have bucket list items? Is, is that what keeps you going or it's more in the moment? Bucket list items, definitely, yes. Goals. I find that if I have dates set to do certain things, I'm going to be there because that's a goal to reach. So Graham and I, we traveled a lot before this COVID. He has thanked me for seeing the world, which he probably would have never done as much as he's done with me. Because I said, Graham, we need to see here, go here, go there, experience this. And because I can remember when I lived in Toronto, I was at a conference and the host of the conference said first, so where do you think people take their dreams? What do they do with them? And I sat there and I had no clue. Mm, I don't know. She said they take them to their grave. They always say they're going to do it, but they never do it. Mm -hmm. And I said, I will never live like that. I'm going to yeah. do my bucket list. I'm going to set my goals. And that's what inspires me as well to keep moving and stay on track. I want to get to this place. I want to see this place. I want to do this. It makes such a difference. I have reasons to live. I think so. I think when you have a reason to live, you, you fight for it. Yes. Um, what, what's on your bucket list now, Dion? Oh, what's yeah. my bucket list now? I would like to go to Church Hill which is outside of Winnipeg to see the polar bears. Okay. okay. <laughs> That's an interesting one for sure. Yes. Yes. I would love to see that. It, it looks so amazing. And then um, I have a waterfall that I would love to reach. That's on the outskirts of Saskatchewan, but you have to like either snowmobile in in the winter or take a kayak in. So it's one of those adventures I would love to do. And this is just in my own province. There's other ones that, you know, I said to Graham, I would love to see the Maldive Islands. 
we checked it off our bucket list. It's one of the most beautiful places I have ever been. Perhaps I should put it on my bucket list. Okay, put it on your bucket list, my dear, because I'm telling you, you haven't lived till you've seen the Maldives Islands. Ooh, spectacular. Yes. What, um, what are some of the gifts of cancer? The gifts of cancer? You find out more about yourself, number one. Mm-hmm. That is for sure. The type of person you are individually, your how strong you really are as a person. You are grateful for so many more things I find in life. The gift of life, gratitude, you know, just for the people that's, that surround you and that are in your life. I mean, I, I always say don't hang out with negative people because they're not going to do you any good. <laughs> so I had to eliminate some and I, that's just me because I need to stay positive. That itself has made a world of difference. Mm. It's, it, you know, it's a tough thing. But sometimes you need to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it's it's just, I never knew I could be this strong of a woman. And, you know, I, I was, after I chatted with you, I actually made a list of how many years. So breast cancer, I've been a 25-year survivor, brain cancer, 23 years, liver cancer, 19 years, bone cancer, 11 years, lung cancer, 11 years stomach cancer two years i'm like i'm a rock star (laughs) (laughs) i just i i just said i wonder what is my stats right now okay (laughs) definitely not your first rodeo i know but here i am and you know if people can't believe in miracles listening to you and i as we are warriors and we are thrivers It's incredible. And, and what advice, uh, Dee, would you give to someone who's going through cancer today? To keep hope alive, mm-hmm. to believe in faith, to believe in miracles. You and I are both one. Yes. And uh, you know what? There's When I motivational speak, I say this phrase by Muhammad Ali. Don't count the days. Make the days count. Mm-hmm. And I think that is so important on the journey. You still have a life. I mean, I'll say sometimes people think as cancer survivors that we don't have lives, that we just sit at home and do nothing. Mm -hmm. I still have a life. I'm still living the best that I can. I'm Mm -hmm. not going to lock myself in a room and woes me. I'm going to do what I can do the best that I can do and still go out in the world and do things. We're 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 on borrowed time. I know that. I'm so glad you brought that up because that has been my experience as well, that when people hear you have cancer, many times they just treat you differently, like you're on limited time, you're going to die any minute. And and no, you you are still the person you were with yes. all those dreams and all those hopes. Yes, exactly. And, you know, to me, I like I said, I'm just going to beat the odds. And I'm you're a great, great example of someone who has not let cancer define you. You are writing the book on cancer. <laughs> Rock star. You know, it, it's, and hey, when there comes a time, if and when it comes, and my oncologist was to look at me and say, he couldn't do anything else for me, I would say to myself, I lived my best life because I didn't let anything stop me. And that's important. Live your best life, no matter what your situation is. 
do your best to live your best life. I can go out with that and be in peace. Wow. That's just, um, that just, that message just went into my soul. Dee, with all of the experiences that you've had with going through unbelievable odds, what is your one hope for the world? My one hope is peace and good health because what we're going through now, it's, it's, it's difficult all around and it's so stressful and it's sometimes painful what is happening in our world. I just want peace and good health for everyone. That's all I pray for. Mm, I think that's a great place to end. I uh, just want to say thank you. I've only known you a few days and I feel like you are an earth angel. And you are an angel. <laughs> and you are a warrior and you are a rock star and you've beaten odds and you will continue to beat odds. And I... Um, and I'm so will you, my friend. I'm, I'm your cheerleader now. You can't get rid of me. <laughs> I am so inspired by your message, by your story. I... I, I just love you deeply. and uh, I love you deeply too. And always remember, I like to say, even in our battles, laughter soothes the soul. You have to remember to laugh and smile, even, at, even when it hurts. Another great message. If you would like to connect with Dion, you know, she is a motivational speaker. You can reach her through her email. And her email is warnerwarriord at yahoo.com and I'll just repeat that it's warner w-a-r-n-e-r warrior d all one word at yahoo.com thank you again Dion I can't thank wait you, my friend you getting to next <laughs> and you too thank you I hope you enjoyed today's show if you like what you heard click the subscribe button to listen to more episodes and if you are an ordinary person doing extraordinary things and want to be a guest on this show, message me on my Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter feed. In the meantime, whatever you're doing, wherever you are, choose hope. Hope is the spark that ignites us to move forward and make things happen.